Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you that may not have been here over the last few weeks, we've been doing a sermon series on 1 Thessalonians, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And if you're here today as a regular who's been listening to that series, you're looking and saying, wait, where's where's the Thessalonians reading in the bulletin? Well, today is a commercial break. What do you do with commercials? What the commercial, what's the goal of commercials? I know you turn them off. You turn them off. You go get something to eat. You're not doing that. Today we're going to talk a little bit about stewardship. Since we're closing in on that time when we look for our budget and pledges. And I don't want you to hear this strictly as about pledges and money. I really don't. And this is not about a guilt trip. But I want you to understand that when we say Jesus is our Lord, when we say we believe in him, there are practical implications for our lives. No one would deny that. And yet at times, we're very selective about what we hear in the scriptures and what we believe and what we bring into our lives. Now, if you've missed the last couple of weeks... We were in chapters 3 and 4 of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And what I said during that time is, when you bring what he did the first couple of chapters, which is remind them of the gospel, and remind them the implications of the gospel, he was beginning to apply it to their lives. He was saying, here's the practical application. Here's the implication. This is how your lives are meant to differ from the world. And your values and your priorities are meant to be different. See, because if you really understand what the word holy means, and if you've been through the discovery class, you know what the word holy means. It means set apart. I heard it. Somebody said it. Set apart. That's what the word holy means. We say it all the time in worship. We read it in the scripture. We hear the Holy Spirit. And when you hear holy, it means that we are meant to be different in our mindset, in our priorities, in our values, and the way we live our lives from the rest of the world. And the question is, do our lives look distinctive? Clearly, Jesus and his life and the way he walked looked distinctive to those around him in the world who were the secular people with the Roman Empire and even to the Jewish religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Jesus appeared different. He was full of the Holy Spirit, as we're told, which means his life stood out. And our lives are meant to stand out. See, but a lot of times we end up acquiescing and fitting in in our lifestyles, in our ways. And the gospel really doesn't penetrate who we are and change our lives. Or we say, you know, 
that's really not for my life today. We have a way of talking ourselves out of it. But the reality is, if the gospel has broken into your heart and life, you become a person who looks at the life of Jesus and looks at the word of God and says, what does this mean for every aspect of my life, including stewardship and giving? I read something not long ago that was actually really meaningful this way too, that really brings the point home. There was a youth rally down in Florida. And at the end of the youth rally, the youth leaders took up an offering. I think they were given to some kind of mission. And at the end of the service, and when they released the kids, they started counting the money, and they came across this picture in one of the baskets. And it was a picture of a girl. And typical youth ministry response, actually, for some of us who are just kind of, kind of have a warped sense of humor, one of the uh, youth leaders said, oh, some kid's trying to give away his sister. <laughs> but then they flipped the picture over. And the girl had written on the back and it said, I don't have any money, so I give you myself. See, if you really understand stewardship, that's what stewardship is about. Because God gave himself to us. He gave us his son who died on a cross in our place for our sin so that we would understand the depth of his love. And when we respond in return, we are giving him our lives, all that we are and all that we have, if you really understand what stewardship is about. Because it's meant to change us, that we don't live according to the world's way and the world's priorities. Now you heard this reading from Exodus and you heard this reading from Matthew and maybe in your mind you're wondering, well, what did those have to do with stewardship? Well, let's go first to the Exodus passage because the Exodus passage is two chapters after the Ten Commandments are given. The Lord delivers Israel out of Egypt. He frees them to become his people and then he gives them the Ten Commandments and the chapters that are after that passage in Exodus chapter 20, are basically taking the Ten Commandments, much like Jesus did, and applying them to the people's lives. This is the way this looks as this penetrates your heart and life and transforms you, and you begin to apply it to your relationships. And if you look in your reading, what you will notice in your reading are several words that are used. You see the word alien. That's not someone from Mars. That means a foreigner. And someone who doesn't believe as you believe. The widow and the orphan. The people who have an obvious need. Their lives are broken. Their families are broken. You see the word the poor. You see the word neighbor. In other words, when you begin to apply the Ten Commandments, God's way, God's kind of love, to your lives, it has an impact on all your relationships when you really understand that. See, later on when the law is given again, that is to say that Scripture records the Ten Commandments being given, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's why it's found, and the book is called Deutero Deuteronomy. Deutero means second, and namas means law. It's the second stating of the law, the Ten Commandments. 
And so Deuteronomy chapter 5 contains the Ten Commandments. Then you get to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and what do you find in Deuteronomy chapter 6? What's called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So now let's fast forward to the Matthew reading, Matthew chapter 22. Because this is what Jesus is quoting. When he's questioned about the law, and his question about what is the greatest commandment, he basically says, well, I want to take you to the summary of what the Ten Commandments really are all about. What the Ten Commandments are really all about is about loving God and loving others. That's what the Ten Commandments really are, are, are all about, which is why you find the law given and then explained and applied, and the passage is about love. Because love has structure. Love has values. Love has priorities. Love is meant to impact our lives and change our lives when you really understand it. Now, I want all of you to reach in the pew rack in front of you. Don't fight over it. For the pew Bible. And I want you to turn to page 900. Page 900 in the Pew Bible, Matthew chapter 22. Because what I want to do is I want to show you the context in which Jesus is sharing this greatest commandment. The context is that he is in a mode of teaching and preaching, and he's talking to the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in that context, what we see at the beginning of chapter 22 is the parable of the wedding banquet. That the Lord is calling people into a relationship with Him. That we are meant to come and, if you will, eat with Him. Let me tell you what that means. That means you're becoming part of the family. That means you're taking on the family ways. When you sup with someone. That's what Holy Communion is meant to really be all about. If you really understand it. That you are as if taking in Jesus and His life, His Spirit is becoming a part of you. That's the symbolism. That's what the sacrament is meant to be. And what the people are responding in saying to the invitation to the wedding banquet, you know what, I'm really too busy. You know what, I really have my own life to lead. I don't really want to be bothered with this banquet that you're throwing. I don't want to be bothered with this marriage if you will, between Jesus and the people of God. We are called the Bride of Christ. We'll come back to that. I want to live my own life my way. And then you see in the next section the question about paying taxes. Well, paying taxes is important. It basically says, you know, the life that we live in this country... We need to support as a people. Now, I'm not going to get into whether our tax structure is fair. That's not the point of the sermon. But what I want to say about it is that we understand that's a part of our life, and if we don't do it, we will end up paying a fine or we'll end up in jail. Because it's that important to have people paying taxes. But we as Christians have a dual citizenship. A dual citizenship. We live in this country, in this world. And we are meant to live in the kingdom of God 
and serve him and give to the support of his kingdom, to the expansion of his kingdom, to the building of his kingdom, for the protection of the people and the support of the people in it who have need. So once again, Jesus is taking this notion and idea of what really is different about our lives. What is this law the Pharisees and Sadducees keep talking about? It's really about our life and how we love others when you really bring it down. And that's what he's driving at. That's where we're going to. Even in the next section where he's talking about the question about the resurrection, the question really comes down to how do we live in this life and what does that look like compared to the next life? Because it's always about how we live now. And what that means, as we say, we're going to share eternal life beyond this life with our Lord. So then we come to the passage about love. And that's why Jesus over and over again taught, told parables. Because he's basically trying to unpack what is the essence of faith. He's trying to show that this law that the Jews stood for really is about love and relationships and a transformed life. And they missed it. So that's the background as we come to this particular passage. How do we live together? How do we do this thing called the Christian life in community? And what does that mean Forgiving. The first aspect I want to talk about in love, this love that we're talking about that has an impact on stewardship, is trust. We trust people we love, or at least we say we trust them. We want to trust them. The trust is an essential part of love. Because I need to rely on you and I need to count on you and I need you to come through and and we need to mutually protect and support one another and encourage one another. That's what love is meant to be about. And there's trust involved in that. You know what's interesting is when I do premarital counseling and I'm beginning to prepare people for this lifelong marriage, it is so much easier and so much more fun than when I have a broken marriage, or a broken family. Because oftentimes what's broken is the trust. There's been a betrayal. And the family is broken. And part of what needs to happen if you're going to put a marriage back together and put a family back together is restoring trust. That you want the people in your life to be trustworthy. How important trust is to a relationship. And God is trustworthy. And He is faithful. And He is love. So when we listen to His word, when He calls us into this relationship, and He directs us according to how we're called to live, do we really trust Him? Or do we hold back? Especially when it comes to our giving. The giving of ourselves, the giving of our resources, the giving of our time. Do we always hold back? Well, you know, Lord, I really want to live my own life. I really don't trust you. You know, think about 
This thing that we call a trust fund in our culture, what does a trust fund have in it? Money, right. Isn't it interesting we call it a trust fund? See, it's set up so that we entrust this money to the person that we want to seek to provide for them and protect them. There's so many different dimensions of this trust fund. See, and the Lord wants you to trust Him. He says, take me at my word. Give to me, I will provide for you. Trust me in that. But we don't. Many of us don't. We say we can trust Him. We say He's love. We say He's faithful. But but do we really trust Him when we say we're going to live according to the way He's called us to? especially when it comes to resources, what he's blessed us with. You know, he is about an eternal picture. He's about your life, your understanding of faith, and he wants to get the message out to other people. And it takes an investment of the people of God to do that. It takes the giving of ourselves and the giving of our time and the giving of our resources in order for us to discover His faithfulness and His love in a deeper way, and in order for His kingdom to expand to other people so that they might share an eternal life. You know, think about Jesus and what He said. I am the way, the truth, and I am life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let's just take the last word for a minute. I am life. See, without Jesus, death is eternal. Add what I just said, Jesus' life, onto that sentence, death is eternal life. Isn't that interesting? You add Jesus into that formula, and it becomes eternal life. Death is eternal life for those who believe. For those who walk with the Lord. And the question is, if we really believe that, then we're going to be invested in that for ourselves and for other people. We are going to seek to walk and live this way. And we will want to bring this message to people who don't know Him. That's His life. And we need to be invested in that life. And you know the reality is that a lot of people aren't really. They say they are. But you know the one thing about giving to the Lord of your life, of your labor? You can fake it. Because nobody knows what you give. We're not standing at the door saying, are you paid up? Or the ticket today is going to cost you. We don't do that. People check up on you if you don't pay your taxes. Trust me. I've been called upon over the years three times by the IRS. Either because I screwed up or they didn't believe how much I gave. See, but the church doesn't do that. Only the Lord knows what you give. 
And you can't play a game with him. You can pretend that you walk with the Lord. You can pretend you're generous with your resources and your time. But the Lord knows. And as I said before, I'll say again, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. Trust me. I'm really not. I just want you to take an honest look at your life. And what does that mean? And if you want to measure that, one way is to go on to read Matthew 23, and you can do this later. Jesus refers to the tithe as the least. The least. And a tithe, the word tithe means 10%. The least. And there will be people who walk out of here and say, you know, I don't believe that. Read it. You don't have to believe me. Read the word. See, because Scripture talks about layers of giving. And we saw it in Exodus. The widow, the orphan, the poor, the people who are in need around you that don't have a source of taking care of themselves. And the kingdom of God needs to be spread. We had a guy who spoke here this past week and spoke at several different venues, including the Daughters of the King. The guy's name was Mark McDonald, and he was raised in the Episcopal Church. And he thought, as he would refer to it, he thought he was a good church person, a good person, because he went to church pretty regularly, served on the vestry, and gave to the church. And, and he had an awakening. He said, you know what? I don't really believe this, and I don't really have a relationship with the Lord, and I need to give my life to him. And he gave his life to him. And as he began to read the word with those new eyes of trusting what it says and seeing this as the Christian life, the Lord convicted him that he needed to give more. And this was a successful guy. He was a lawyer and a CPA. So he said, I need to work towards the tithe. And if you've never done that, by the way, it's hard to do. To work your way up to that. 10% of what you make, of what you take in in your house. But he got the 10% and he still was not content. He felt like the Lord was saying, you can do more, trust me. And over time, this guy got up to 50% of his income. That he gave to the Lord's work. Some of you are saying to yourself, no way. And it's amazing, not only did he do that, but then the Lord started laying on him, and you know what, I want your time too. So now he gives 50% of his time. There's investment. You know, the guy would never set the world on fire by the way he speaks. But let me tell you what, his witness was incredibly powerful. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants lives that are given over to him, that really trust him and are really invested in him because your life will speak to the lives of others. Your life will bless others. And the Lord's saying to you, do you really trust me? Do you really trust me? Because when you do, it shows. 
just like it does in a relationship here. And love also has to do with service. You know, you serve people around you that you love, don't you? You serve your household, you serve your spouse, you serve your children, you serve your parents in whatever capacity. When you say you love someone, you do something about it. Love in action. See, the stewardship of your life isn't just about your resources, it's about your time and energy too. What are you giving in terms of your life to the Lord and to other people? Is it just about you? I mean, so often we hear, I went to church and I didn't get anything out of it, right? Isn't that why we come to church? Or if you really understand worship, it's about giving. It's about serving. That's part of life. You know, and people that have blessed you, you are even more inclined to want to serve them. Right? I mean, that's what I experienced this past year probably more than any other because of my mom's decline and eventual death and that I would go there and I was there to serve her. And you know what? I was thrilled to do it. I really was. Because I was able to give back. Jesus Christ gave his life for you. When you really recognize the depth of that love, you want to give back. You want to serve. I mean, in part, that's why I do what I do. Because I came to that realization. See, loving is giving. Loving is giving, multi-layered, multi-dimensional. Love is about giving yourself. You know, when you hear the marriage vows, when people come forward to get married, what do we say about them? They come to the altar, right? It's because we say the altar is the place where the Lord, we remember his sacrifice, and they're coming forward to say, I want to give my life to you. I want to sacrifice for you. Love is about giving. When you really understand love, it takes commitment. It takes effort. It takes time. You know, I love, this is from the old Book of Common Prayer. And when I say the old one, I'm not talking in the United States. I'm talking about in England. The 1662 Book of Common Prayer. Okay? It's not the first one. If you want to know more about that, come to the discovery class. But anyway, um, this Book of Common Prayer probably the one that's still most widely used in England. Let me read to you from the marriage vows. With this ring I thee wed. With my body I thee worship. And with all my worldly goods I thee endow in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? With my body I thee worship. In other words, worship takes an investment of this. That's why we make you do spiritual aerobics. You stand, you kneel, you sit. 
It takes an investment of this. And you're serving and you're giving of yourself. That's what worship is meant to be about. You come to give. You don't come to take. The taking comes by your presence here because the Lord will be present by His Spirit and you'll receive communion and you'll be renewed and filled again. It comes by your showing up. But when you come, you come to give. And the mutual exchange happens just like a marriage. That's what we're talking about. With all my worldly goods I thee endow. Why do we say that? Because... We mean it. We're coming in all in. And God has given you everything you have, everything you are, the personality, the opportunities, the gifts, the talents, everything. And He wants you to give it back to Him. Because of what He's invested in you and what He's given to you. Let me tell you, you can walk away from here and say, I don't buy that. That's between you and the Lord. But I guarantee you, if you take an honest look, an honest look at what the Scriptures say, and an honest look at your own life, you'll change. You will desire to serve. You will desire to give. Because that's what Jesus did for us. And you'll be different. I said I was going to return to Matthew 22. And as we draw this to a close, I want to talk about where this whole idea of paying taxes in the Roman Empire came from. Where this paying taxes in the Roman Empire came from was the fact that when Numa, the first king of the Roman Empire wanted his armies to make sure they were the strongest in the world. And so he made a deal, so he says, with Jupiter, the king of the gods. I will sacrifice to you if you will bless my armies. And then he went out to the people and he said, you need to pay for sacrifices. So that we can have the strongest army. So that we can protect what we have. You know, the Romans, by and large, did not believe in eternal life like we do. And yet, most of us invest what we have in this world. The armies of this world protect my wealth, protect my life. I want to be insulated. I want to be successful. I want to be comfortable. I want to have anything I want. See, because we're serving those worldly gods instead of the God of the universe who says, I want you to build treasures in heaven. I want you to invest in my kingdom. I want you to invest in people around you who don't know me, who are struggling 
who are needy. That's what I want you to invest in. And when we talk about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it is meant to cover the whole of your life. Your strength means your body, your effort, your energy, serving. Your mind. Scripture talks over and over again about be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2. Which means that our mind becomes saturated with the word of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts. When you give your hearts, heart to someone, you are willing to sacrifice. Because you're invested, you love them. And your soul, the very essence of your being. You know, if you make a household income of $40,000 or more, you are in the top 1% of the world's income. How does that translate in generosity? How does that translate in giving, sacrifice? See, the life that we're called to is a life of stewardship. We're not owners. Adam and Eve wanted to become owners. We're called to be stewards. What are you doing with your life? And does it reflect the life of Christ in you? I invite you today to consider the the idea of biblical stewardship or reconsider and look an honest look take an honest look at your life and ask the question do I really love the Lord with the whole of my being that's the faith that's the life Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, you've blessed us in so many ways to live where we live, to have what we have, to have been given the talents, the opportunities the blessings that you've poured out on us. Lord, I pray that each person here would take an honest look at their life. To ask whether they're serving themselves or serving the world or serving you. To ask if what they're giving really reflects the gift of your son and that he gave his life for us. To ask the question if the love that we share is really the love, the fruit of the spirit. The sacrificial love of Jesus. Or whether really it's about self-love. Lord, I pray that you would move by your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. Cause us to be truly your disciples, your stewards, your servants, who are known for their love and their sacrifice and their generosity.
who are known as witnesses of your hand, your heart. Lord, make us stewards. Bless us and use us for the sake of your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name.